The Tailor's Guild is a work of fiction. Like a good story and a good suit, you can put it on as much as you like and it becomes more familiar each time. Content warnings are available in the show notes. If you have a specific trigger, let us know and we'll begin warning for it. Now, settle in, feel our comfortable coat on your shoulders, and enjoy the show. A Plutocratic Elite A forgotten working class? Machines powered by magic. Fine suits and solidarity. This is the Tailor's Guild. In every person's life, there are moments when they discover they are wrong about something. Not just a minor mistake, but a fundamentally held and unquestioned belief. If we are lucky, we have many of these moments throughout our lives. All we can hope to do is think deeply and be ready to learn when the opportunity presents itself. It is not easy, after any realignment, to look back upon what we once thought we knew. Often it is unflattering and a little embarrassing. But what is learning, if not unflattering and a little embarrassing? Mr. Ramos was out of the store that day, and left strict instructions not to be disturbed. These instructions were easily followed, since no one had his home address. The demand was of mild interest to Harry and Yaz, however, as rarely did Mr. Ramos explicitly state such a thing. Ordinarily, he simply didn't come in, and no one contacted him anyway. Since it was relatively quiet, Zara decided it was a perfect opportunity for the two younger tailors to practice their knowledge of the craft. She ran them through a gauntlet of quick interrogations. Why must you never put notch lapels in a tuxedo? Baffling customer requests. I come in wanting a fully lined and constructed linen summer suit. How do you tell me not to do this? And specific situations. I'm attending a spring garden party, but I don't know a lapel from a cuff. What do you put me in? Harry was just in the middle of answering that final question by displaying a very fetching mint-green houndstooth when the little bell above the door rang. Silhouetted against the temporary light pouring in from outside was a tall man in a long overcoat. Blooming over his lip was a thick white walrus mustache, and the knot of his sober burgundy tie was perfectly symmetrical. It would have been obvious even without his stiff-backed strut of a walk. Military and someone important, too. The mustache alone made that clear. He stood firmly just inside the door by the desk, with the clear air of a person who believes he is doing you a great favor by deigning to be polite. Zara stepped forward and greeted him smoothly. Good morning, sir. What can Ramos and Son fine clothiers do for you today? 
The military man grimaced slightly under his banal smile, insulted, but letting it go to demonstrate how even-keeled and dignified he was. Last time I checked, my rank was Brigadier General. I am here for an intermediate fitting with Mr. Sidney Drake. Would you be so kind as to let him know that I've arrived? Zara smiled thinly. If we're using ranks, you may address me as Nav Officer. I shall just go and check with Mr. Drake and see if he's available for you. The old man regarded her curiously. You may have flown an arrow keel, but you didn't fight in our war. Zara stared at him, momentarily speechless. Harry, having dropped the fetching mint green hound's tooth, stood clumsily to attention. Uh, don't, don't worry about it, General. I can make sure your suit is shipshape for the fitting. The old man's smile bloomed into something beatific, the smile of a man who has been assured that his importance has been properly recognized for at least the third time that day. Many thanks, son, and who did you serve under? He certainly taught you proper respect. Harry's face fell. I, I didn't serve, General. Too young. The old man dismissed the statement benevolently. That's quite all right, son. May still get the chance, eh? So saying, he made his way to a fitting room without being asked. Harry rifled through the garment bags hanging alphabetically on the wooden pole. What's it under? Sidney pointed with the tip of a pin sticking out of his mouth without really looking up from his sewing. M for Montgomery. Harry's hand paused somewhere in the L's. Wait, that Montgomery? Brigadier General Hamish Montgomery is in our shop? Sidney still didn't look up. Mm-hmm, he said through the three pins that were now held by his lips. The Viper of Strongtree? Harry pressed, awestruck. We're fitting old Hacksaw for a suit? Sidney set his pins down with great purpose. You know, Harry, I didn't take you for a history enthusiast. Harry pulled the garment bag tagged H. Montgomery reverently from the rack. Sidney, come on. Everyone knows General Montgomery. He's a hero. The victory at Strongtree probably won us the war. Sidney stood up, leaning heavily on his cane. Who's us? He got plenty of medals and plenty of people killed. He's not a national inspiration. He's an old man I have to wrap a measuring tape around and listen to complaints from. Follow me. Sidney grabbed the garment bag and made his way downstairs. A half-finished suit often resembles little more than a tunic made of rough canvas and flyaway threads. The canvas, which is eventually hidden by the actual suit fabric, is there to define the shape of the suit. It's important to get right, so men like the esteemed Brigadier General will often have multiple fittings performed through various stages of the suit's construction. It's expensive, which for some people is part of the appeal. The old man greeted Sidney cordially, but held up an admonishing hand when Sidney requested he take off his jacket for the fitting. Before we get to all that, I have a small request, Montgomery said. Won't take long, you can do it while Mr. Drake here is fitting me. Zara replied to him calmly but coolly. Sir, we do not typically fulfill same-day assignments. We're a busy shop. The general's voice stayed calm and lightly humorous, but it wasn't hard to detect the edge in his tone. It'll be no trouble at all, I promise. Just some blauwurst. I picked up a taste for it during the war, and I'm hosting a dinner party tonight. My maid hasn't been able to find a proper butcher anywhere. I'm sure you don't mind. There is a moment, when dealing with a demanding customer, that you can either stand your ground or yield. Both options have their pros and cons, and neither is a perfect solution in every situation. 
If you stand your ground, you will get to experience the sweetest joy of all, telling a customer no. However, a very powerful and easily angered customer can make you eat that no, if so inclined. And General Montgomery's mustache was bristling in such a way that said without a doubt he was so inclined. Yaz was about to speak up and reinforce their policies when Zara interjected, Very well, sir. We can make an exception for you and this important event. Yaz, would you mind? Brigadier General Hamish Montgomery smiled a satisfied smile, as if everything were once again right in his world. He eyed Yaz quizzically. Why don't you take this young man with you, hmm? Strikes me as one to get the job done. Harry straightened, appreciating the compliment and unaware of the implied insult. With another clumsy salute, he followed Yaz out the door. The day outside was bright and sunny, as days in New Dawn City were wont to be. The staid patterns of traffic on Beauregard Hill moved around them as Harry and Yaz left the shop. Parked directly in front of the shop was a gleaming black car. Its hood stretched out like a battlement over two sets of front wheels, all in clean, white wall tires. A gloved chauffeur stood at attention outside the car and acknowledged them politely, tapping his finger to the brim of his cap. The hood ornament featured two intertwined Fs. It was a Fortunato, and a top-of-the-line one at that. Harry paused to admire the car for a moment, then moved on with Yaz. So, Yaz said, when they had walked a few blocks, what was up with that guy? He seemed a bit self-important. Harry bristled slightly. Well, he has a right to be. He's a decorated war hero. Yaz glanced sideways at Harry. Yeah, you seem pretty interested in him. Zara doesn't, though. Harry frowned. What do you mean? Yaz shrugged. I mean, he was pretty rude to Zara, don't you think? Harry walked a bit faster. I think he deserves our respect. He's a general. He defended the town of Strongtree from the monsters of the forest. You haven't heard the stories? Yaz laughed. Harry, I grew up in Aurelios. We have our own heroes. They're just as disappointing when you meet them in person, though. Aurelios was a place Harry knew next to nothing about, except that it was a nation on an island far to the south. Perhaps they just had less impressive heroes he grimaced. Well, I'm not disappointed. Yaz elbowed Harry cheerfully. All right, well, now I'm interested. How exactly did this fellow fend off the attack? Harry brightened considerably and launched into the story. The story went, if I recall correctly, and you'll forgive me, it was so long ago now, that Brigadier General Montgomery was tasked with claiming the forest to the north of the little village of Strongtree, the village lay in a shallow valley with a river, which Brigadier General Montgomery used to his advantage. The monsters were used to hunting the villagers for food, slaking their thirst with impunity at the river. He knew where they would flee if they were in danger. He directed several scout marchers to carry massive barrels of quorum into the woods and set them alight. The woods began to die. Trees creaked as they burned, and leaves became first crisp, then ash. The monsters their shattering cries rising above the fire, fled to safety. To the river. To Strongtree. To Brigadier General Montgomery. Then the monsters began to die. The military marchers stood many meters tall, and a fleet of arrow keels buzzed above them. Even those monsters who could fly with leathery wings 
were swiftly cut down by machine-gun fire. The monsters began to take shelter. They crept through the village, past market squares, behind houses, searching for any respite from the primal fear of the conflagration behind and the merciless death ahead. Then, Brigadier General Montgomery shelled the village of Strongtree to dust. The monsters died. The blackened husk of the forest was cleared. Nothing could have been simpler. But what happened to the people? Yaz asked. Harry paused. The soldiers? They were perfectly safe. It takes a lot to bring down a marcher. Yaz shook her head. Not the soldiers, the villagers. The people of Strongtree. Oh. There was a long silence. I don't know. There was no more time to discuss it. They had arrived at their first stop. Heimholtz's fresh meats wasn't necessarily the best butcher, or the one with the most specialty cuts, but it was certainly the closest butcher, and that made it a worthwhile place to start. Quite a lot of the assignment-related work in the Tailor's Guild, it turned out, was performing relatively easy, mundane tasks that someone far wealthier either couldn't be bothered or was far too foolish to perform on their own. This, unfortunately, did not seem to be one of those assignments. Heimholtz's fresh meats turned up no leads. In fact, the butcher behind the counter hadn't even heard of Blauwurst. As the two tailors kept up the search, a question began to grow in their minds. Exactly what sort of meat were they looking for? The search took them off Beauregard Hill and down into Ward Row, a shabby, maze-like warren of shops, tenement houses, and the occasional, seemingly lost, corporate office building. It was near enough to downtown for the homes of workers at the nice restaurants and establishments that catered to the elites, but it was closer to the factory districts, therefore cheaper, and dark smoke clung to the streets. The roads were narrower, and people thronged the sidewalks and meandered in between the slow-moving cars and under the legs of freight marchers that traveled through Ward Row between the factories and the docks. Reuben's butchery hadn't even heard of Blauwurst, and neither did corner cuts. At Randolph's Meat Market, however, the red-faced salesperson provided a break in the case. Deeper in Ward Row was a little shop that should carry the tailor's quarry. He had written directions sketched on a piece of greasy parchment paper, so Harry and Yaz kept walking. As they continued deeper into Ward Row, the two tailors noticed that more and more people were walking the same direction they were. Some wore work clothes and coveralls, while others wore worn-out, mismatched suits. Ahead of them, towards where all these people were heading, Harry and Yaz could hear the sound of a crowd, the discordant harmony of raised, urgent voices. Zara was doing some filing upstairs when Sidney thumped up beside her and began to rummage around for more pins. She glanced over at him sympathetically. How's our brave war hero? she asked. Sidney rolled his eyes. The cut of the trousers is somehow both too wide and too thin. The buttons aren't placed properly, though your guess is as good as mine what that means. The amount of fuss he's putting up, you think he was marrying President Rudhall himself in this suit. Zara sighed. I pity you, Sidney, I really do. 
Sidney retrieved the necessary pins and began to make his way back downstairs. Just hope he doesn't begin to dither on the fabric choice again. If I have to discuss the merits of three identical navy pinstripe options anymore, I may just finish the jacket in potato sacking. As soon as Sidney had descended back to the first floor, the old man kept talking. It is a truth universally acknowledged among those in the assisting old powerful men profession that they will take any opportunity to either reminisce about past victories or relitigate old slights. Those are typically the only two possibilities. On rare occasions, if they are feeling particularly charitable, they may offer condescending tips on life, love, and business. To them, these three things are the same, and their advice is therefore useless. Unfortunately for all concerned, this current powerful old man was feeling charitable right then, and had embarked on a dramatic retelling of his command post during the Woodland War and the numerous medals he had won for gallantry, a tale that, if he had any sense, Sidney might learn something from. At the risk of sounding like a powerful old man, I am now old, but to my great relief I was never powerful, here is a useful tip when conversing with those who have fought in wars. Do not launch into graphic descriptions of battlefields and the violence contained therein without warning or regard for things a person might not want to think about at work on an otherwise normal afternoon. Brigadier General Montgomery should have heeded this advice, but if he had even given Sidney's emotions a thought, I suppose he would have been a fundamentally different person. As he told it, the complaints had come just after dawn, when he had ordered his soldiers to stand down at last. The few remaining cries of the monsters were fast fading into the ambient cracks and hisses of the newly killed forest. The danger had passed, and the townsfolk could return to their homes. Such as they were, in any case. The first complaint was that there weren't any homes to return to. Ungrateful. They had just been saved from certain death in the jaws of the monsters, and furthermore, there was now fresh land for factories. The people of Strongtree would soon usher forth a new era of increased productivity. The second complaint was that the fire had spread to the fields, incinerating a good portion of the season's crop. This complaint was equally unimportant, and Brigadier General Montgomery would have waved them off had his keen soldier's eye not noticed a still-moving Kalahost, its dark green, leathery wings and barbed spines badly singed. The Brigadier General adroitly dismissed their complaints by underlining the necessity of the burn, shooting the Kalahost straight through one of its three remaining orange eyes. The farmers, properly chided, were now ready for his question. Did they not, on occasion, hunt and eat the arcane beasts of the forest? A lanky youth responded that they often did. Well, then the solution was simple. One resource that now presented itself in abundant was fresh, monstrous meat. As Brigadier General Montgomery's valet approached with a folding table and a spotless tablecloth, it occurred to him that he was indeed ravenous. The old man's description of the dead monster's succulence was interrupted when Sidney left to get more pins. His hands were shaking. The deafening crowd was impossible to ignore as they got closer. People of all ages were clustered together, 
raucous shouts occasionally forming into a cohesive chant before falling away again. The people were bedraggled, their clothes old and worn and their faces etched in the same oily smoke that sank in deep. Their eyes were bright, and the lines of the crowd held an electric, potent determination. As Harry and Yaz watched, transfixed, several people wearing red pins moved among the crowd, stopping here to chat with someone, there to hand out a pamphlet or deliver a friendly, understanding smile. Harry jolted himself out of his reverie and scrutinized the faint instructions on the scrap of paper they'd been given. Tucked in a corner was a dingy storefront with a small handwritten sign that said meat in the window. Harry and Yaz glanced at each other, dubious, and stepped inside. It was close-smelling in the little shop, and smoky air hung low near the ceiling, where it mingled with hanging garlic and onions. An elderly woman in an apron sat knitting behind the counter, and she stood up cheerfully when the little bell above the door rang. Good morning! What are you looking for today? She had a loud, friendly voice, a voice accustomed to being heard over much faster, colder northern winds than those that swept through New Dawn City. Uh, do you have Blauwurst? Harry managed the word a bit more easily, having attempted it at what felt like a thousand meat shops over the course of the afternoon. The shopkeeper beamed and slid a carton of neatly stacked bluish sausages, encrusted with frost, out of the icebox. I so rarely get requests for Blauwurst, the shopkeeper said. This is fine stuff, direct from a little northern hunting lodge. You'll love it, I promise. It'll taste just like home. Or what home tasted like before the war. Are you from up north? Both of the tailors almost sagged with relief when they saw the rolls of sausage. The end of their quest. Uh, no, ma'am, Harry said awkwardly. He had a sudden flash of the story he'd told earlier, of a little town demolished by war. It didn't seem clever anymore. It seemed disrespectful. In that case, the shopkeeper said, you want to cook these over low heat, no oil, you hear? But drop some salt and rosemary in the pan and they'll be perfect. The taste might take some getting used to for city folk. She carefully wrapped the sausages up in brown paper and handed the package to Harry with a knowing smile. If I may ask, what is it? Yaz said hesitantly. The old butcher smiled fondly as she responded, It's Kalahas, dear. I remember back before the war, we'd only see them once or twice a year, when one would come out of the woods. We'd gather in the town square, sing songs, roast the meat, and keep the rest for sausages like this. Enjoy! Back outside, the crowd had grown. The shouts were ringing off the cobblestone street, and with each cry, the determination of the assemblage swelled. A young person of indeterminate gender, with shoulder-length hair and a voluminous coat, eyed them with some interest. They were wearing one of the red pins Harry and Yaz had spotted earlier. Don't you look nice, the young person said, eyeing both impeccable suits. Out on the town for a carefree day? Harry smiled, curious. The crowd continued to roar. Oh, we're, we're tailors. The young person nodded, their demeanor becoming a bit sunnier. Oh, fellow workers then. I'm Ava. They extended a friendly hand. Yaz shook it. What's happening here? she asked, indicating the crowd. They're veterans, mostly. Government cut their pension funds again, and they might lose their homes. Ava gestured around the sagging buildings of Ward Row. Not that these are safe to live in, anyway. Some of them need medical care or mental care, but without those funds, they're not getting it. I'm here with a few friends, just trying to help out. Yaz watched the crowd. 
Some of the jackets came from United Tration military uniforms, she now saw. You and a few friends. And what exactly do you do? Ava grinned and tapped the red pin on their lapel. We're with the Workers' Party. Us and these veterans are natural allies, so we're trying to foster some connections. Say, what do you folks make as tailors? Your workers too, you know. Who's advocating for you? Harry broke in. He'd been staring at the crowd with a mixture of shock and incomprehension. But these these people fought for us, didn't they? Why, why aren't we taking care of them? Ava glanced sidelong at him. Are you new? N- new where? Harry asked. Just in general. Ava shook their head. As they spoke, several loud pops sounded from further down the street. The crowd turned, and some of the shouts turned to screams. Several New Dawn City police cars, newly cleaned and freshly painted, were moving slowly down the road as a mass of uniformed officers strode alongside. One was leaning out the window of the lead car, bellowing in no uncertain terms for the crowd to disperse. "'What's happening?' Harry asked again, trying to see through the crowd. "'This is going to get ugly,' Ava said. "'Get out of here. Take this. Think about where you are in the world.' Paula wrote it. She's a genius. "'Things are going to get a lot better.' Then they ducked away, turning up the large collar of their coat and shouting in time with the protesters. A few in the crowd were forming up in an old military structure facing the police, but most were scattering down alleyways. The shouts were getting louder, and a few figures were being dragged back, prone and screaming, from the direction the police were coming from. The pops continued, and Harry realized with a shock that they were gunfire. As Harry and Yaz headed back towards Beauregard Hill, Yaz looked at the papers Ava had thrust to them. The one on top was a brilliant red pamphlet. White lettering on it read, Workers of the World Unite. The little bell above the shop rang as Harry and Yaz entered. It was late afternoon now, and the heat had dissipated. Long rays of sun cast even longer shadows along the narrow streets. Both were reeling a little from the tribulations of the day, and neither had felt much like talking on the walk back. The fact wasn't lost on either of them, that the old man had kept them out for the better part of the workday. Brigadier General Hamish Montgomery was seated on the waiting area couch behind a stiffly held newspaper, a picture of barely contained rage. As they entered, he folded the newspaper crisply and rose to his feet. So, the scouting party returns, eh? If you were under my command, I'd have you running till you couldn't feel your feet for coming back this late. What do you have to say for yourselves? Harry and Yaz glanced at each other, frozen. It it, it was hard to find, Yaz blurted out. It was the first thing she could think of to say. But find it you did, I see. Brigadier General Hamish Montgomery eyed the brown paper package clutched in Harry's hand. Harry closed his eyes and clasped his hands behind his back, moving the package away from the old man's sight. Uh, Unfortunately, General, this parcel is for another client. We, We were in the neighborhood, so we picked it up, too. We couldn't find yours. The old man's mustache seemed to bristle up like a beleaguered porcupine. That's preposterous. Let me see it. Harry deftly took a step back, staring down at the floor. Sorry, General, I I can't do that. It would compromise the privacy our clients trust to the Taylor's Guild. 
Yaz took the package from Harry's hands and started to walk towards the back of the shop with it. In the future, sir, I would recommend placing requests ahead of time. That way we can make sure to have them fulfilled when you arrive. The old man whirled between the two of them, raising an accusing finger. I am not finished with you! A heavy footstep, accompanied by the rap of a wooden cane, sounded from the stairwell. Harry, Yaz, Sidney said wearily, come here. Exultant, the old man watched as Harry and Yaz walked slowly past him towards Sidney. They gathered at the foot of the stairs with the door open. Did you find his blouwurst? Sidney asked. Harry and Yaz exchanged a look. Then Harry sighed and held the brown paper package out to Sidney. Sidney didn't take it. Give it to him. Harry drew breath to protest, but Sidney cut him off. It's not worth it, Sidney said, and indicated the old man with his chin. Head low, Harry and Yaz returned to him. Sorry, sir, Yaz said. We were mistaken. Here's your blowerst. I hope your dinner party is wonderful. The old man stood still, taut and furious. Mistaken? You were mistaken or you thought you could get away with gross insubordination? You have no right, you hear me? No right. We know, General. Have a nice night. The old man snorted and tucked the package of Blauwurst under his arm. He stalked out the front door, where his chauffeur still had the expensive black car waiting. The shop was silent, and after a few moments, Yaz stepped out the door into the fresh air. Harry joined her, leaning against the doorframe. When he looked back, Sidney had already gone upstairs. Do you want this? Yaz asked, extending a pamphlet to Harry. Ava gave us two. Again, the white lettering on the red background seemed to leap out at him. I think I do, yeah. Harry took the pamphlet. I think that's all for now. Yours sincerely, The Storyteller. The Tailor's Guild, Season 1, Episode 3, Brigadier General Hamish Montgomery, was written by Jules Blymore, produced by Jules Blymore, starring Jules Blymore as the storyteller, original music by Colin Tidwell, with Thomas Tidwell Consulting. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Send us a message at thetailorsguildcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Tumblr at The Taylor's Guild. New episodes on the 7th and 21st. Thank you for listening. Join a union.